Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to the playoffs. TCU versus Michigan, Georgia versus Ohio State. Stetson Bennett goes for back-to-back national championships, and you can be ready for all the action with BetOnline Sportsbook. Use our promo code BLEAV50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to get a 50% welcome bonus using the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good afternoon or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. Welcome, 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 everybody. It is a fantabulous Wednesday, December 28th, according to my count. It may not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in however and whenever it is that you may be listening. We've got A fun little segment coming up later on in the show today. I know I promised college football playoff talk. We'll get to that eventually. But today, I have concocted an NFL cheat sheet. And there's one statistic that doesn't really get thrown out a whole lot that I think is really helpful in trying to analyze this incredibly chaotic and random sport. And so, I took some statistics last month, took some statistics this month, And we've concocted an NFL playoff cheat sheet, which we'll get to that coming up later on in the show. First of all, every NFL Monday, ever since Matt Rule got fired, we have been saying that every NFL Monday is one NFL Monday closer to Nathaniel Hackett getting fired by the Denver Broncos. And lo and behold, Nathaniel Hackett got fired by the Denver Broncos on Monday and Nathaniel Hackett getting fired by the Denver Broncos was kind of expected. I mean, I told you during our Christmas Spectacular podcast, if you watched Broncos and Rams on Christmas Day, including over Bucks and Celtics, you are a deep sicko. You are a deep, deep sicko. And that was even more true because, look, I know Bucks and Celtics ended up being a blowout. I know Chris Middleton didn't play again against Boston, which seems to kind of be a theme at this point. <laughs> playoff series last year Milwaukee goes seven games feel pretty certain they would have beat Boston with a healthy Chris Middleton this year Chris Middleton had wrist surgery out seven months missed the Christmas Day rematch against Boston Boston beat Milwaukee by 20 points and Jason Tatum had 41 and seven look I get that that game was a blowout you know what else was a blowout the sicko Rams versus the sicko Broncos 51 to 14 type blowout That game was over at halftime. They were putting in Bryce Perkins and they were putting in Brett Rippon. Like that game was over. And so I hope that all of you sickos 
did not watch Russell Wilson go over three with two interceptions to start the game and then decide to keep watching. Did I watch a single second of that game? No, I did not. Was I getting updates from my brother reluctantly on Christmas? Yes, I was. That's how I know that the game was 51 to 14 and that Russell Wilson threw two picks in the first three passes of the game. All that to say, a 51 to 14 loss to the Rams is ultimately what's going to get Nathaniel Hackett fired before the season ends. <laughs> Two weeks before the season ends, in fact. And look, I've been making jokes for years about the Denver Broncos because the Denver Broncos now are the new New York Giants. They won a championship in 2016. For 45 years, the Denver Broncos never had consecutive back-to-back losing seasons. For 15 years, they had a Hall of Fame quarterback in John Elway, and they were able to build at least a stable team around John Elway. And by having maybe the best quarterback in the NFL at the time, they were able to go to three Super Bowls. And in the in-between, they were competitive. They went to the playoffs almost every year. They never had back-to-back losing seasons. Since John Elway's retirement in in 1998, and Mike Shanahan's transitional phase out of the Broncos at least uh, softened the blow a little bit. But post-1998, when Mike Shanahan revolutionizes offense and he creates an offense built around 37-year-old John Elway, and it ends up being an offense that is now replicated across the league, uh, whether you, you point to Shanahan, his son who directly coached under him, whether it's Mike McDaniel, whether it's Sean McVay, whether it's both LeFleurs, LeFleur in Green Bay and a LeFleur with the Jets and Robert Sala. Those are just the people who immediately worked underneath Mike Shanahan and have now taken that offense and everyone wants to hire someone from that system, whether it's Zach Taylor with the Bengals or Kevin O'Connell from the Vikings. You know, 10 of the 32 NFL head coaches either directly work under Mike Shanahan or are one person removed from directly working under Mike Shanahan. And so... You're looking at post-1998, the Denver Broncos have been bad at football for 25 years. And only that four-year period where Peyton Manning decided to come play for their team, that was the one reprieve that the Denver Broncos had. And I've pointed this out for years to much pushback, I will say. Um, But the Denver Broncos have been a bad franchise for 25 years. And only the four-year break in between in which they had Peyton Manning gives them a bit of a reprieve. Because since that Super Bowl in 1998, the Denver Broncos won one playoff game outside of the four years with Peyton Manning. It was really five years with Peyton Manning, but that last year they won the Super Bowl, Peyton Manning was really, really bad. And so in between the five years of incredibly sustained prolonged success, it's been a whole lot of bad for Denver. Here's the Denver Broncos post Super Bowl. So they go six and ten, eleven and five, eight and eight, nine and seven. Back to back ten win seasons, really good. They lose in the playoffs to the Colts by a combined fifty-eight points in two seasons. Both years they make the wild card with ten wins. Both years they lose to the Colts by a combined fifty-eight points. Then they have a thirteen and three season, really, really great year in two thousand five, and they lose in the AFC. They beat Tom Brady with Jake Plummer. They beat Tom Brady in the playoffs with Jake Plummer, and lose in the AFC Championship game. Followed up by five consecutive missed playoffs, five consecutive seasons with Peyton Manning, where they were excellent. Well, four years with Peyton Manning and one year with Tim Tebow, and then 
Since then, they have been one of the worst teams in the NFL. It's 9-7 and seven with Trevor Semyon as the quarterback, followed by five wins, a 5-11 and 11 season, a 6-10 and 10 season, 7-9, and 5-11, and 7-10, and 10, and now this season, which is headed towards either 4-13 and 13 or 5-12. and 12. In that time frame, the Houston Techs, or the, um, the Denver Broncos have had five different head coaches and 13 different quarterbacks play for their team in the seven years since the retirement of Peyton Manning. That's one of the worst stretches of football of any team in the sport. Only They have the second longest playoff drought in the sport as things are going right now, and they haven't, I mean, the best quarterback of the group is Teddy Bridgewater. They've had 13 quarterbacks and one wide receiver play quarterback for the Broncos, Teddy Bridgewater is statistically the best among them. And so the Denver Broncos have been really bad for a really long time. By the standards of the NFL, they have been really bad for really long. You're looking up and it's like, oh, it's been a decade of irrelevance for the Broncos. And that that decade of irrelevance correlates to Patrick Mahomes arriving in the division. Because as soon as the Denver, as soon as Patrick Mahomes, sorry, as soon as they win that Super Bowl, Kansas City has won seven consecutive AFC West titles, which is a record that only the Patriots have exceeded in the modern NFL. Seven consecutive division titles. And so the Broncos occupy the space where they are the new Denver Broncos. Are the Denver Broncos are the new Buffalo Bills. Whoops, the Denver Broncos are not the new Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos are the new Buffalo Bills. What I mean by that is you looked up one day and Buffalo went from making it to four consecutive Super Bowls, going to the playoffs with Jim Kelly in 1996, making the playoffs in 2000 with Wade Phillips, losing the Music City Miracle, but if they win the Music Music City Miracle, they might go to the Super Bowl. Tennessee went to the Super Bowl that year after winning the Music City Miracle. Buffalo was close to going to an AFC Championship game in 2000, and immediately after that, 17 years without making the playoffs and it happened like that for Buffalo it was uh, four Super Bowls Jim Kelly make the playoffs in 1996 then you have a three-year buffer period where you still have Bruce Smith and Andre Reed they get back to the playoffs with uh, uh I believe it was Drew Bledsoe in 2000 or not Drew Bledsoe with um well they had Drew Bledsoe later but basically they go into 2000 and then it's over And it's 17 years of alternating coaches, alternating coordinators, alternating quarterbacks, and the Patriots run the division and you can't even sniff the playoffs because you're trying to compete with the Jets and the Dolphins for second place. And you can't compete with the Jets who had, you know, of the group, the best stretch of of time during the 17 years of the Patriots. You know, they beat the Patriots in the playoffs twice, made an AFC championship game they might have made two AFC championship games, but you know, they beat the Patriots in the playoffs and then they made the AFC championship game. So the Jets had some measure of success where the Dolphins haven't won a playoff game since 2000 and Buffalo didn't make the playoffs since 2000. The line of demarcation for the AFC West is 2015. Broncos win a championship, no playoffs since. Raiders, 2015, no playoff wins since, just like the Miami Dolphins. Now, the Raiders haven't won a playoff game since 2002, but that's besides the point. And then you have the Chargers, who haven't won a playoff game since 2015. They might win one this year, 
but if they get a first round playoff matchup against Cincinnati might not go their way so what does this have to do with the Broncos and Nathaniel Hackett the thing that I thought was interesting about Hackett getting fired is for all the jokes about the Broncos even I could not have anticipated that it would go this poorly and that even though you've now changed ownership in Denver and even though you've changed the the front office the Russell Wilson saga has been so bad and yet fits into the mold of the NFL almost perfectly. The Denver Broncos are one of the worst-run organizations in football. They didn't even have an owner for six years. John Elway was essentially the de facto owner in the transition between the death of Pat Bolin, and prior to that, Pat Bolin had had Alzheimer's, so he wasn't running the team anymore. In the years in between, they haven't had a leader, and they haven't had someone at the top of the organization besides John Elway. And even John Elway wasn't leader in title. He just had a close relationship with the family. And so he was basically running the day-to-day operations of the Broncos. Which John Elway is not qualified to run the day-to-day operations of the Broncos. And as a result, you've seen how John Elway and the Broncos have have fallen uh, over the past few years. Regardless of whether it's based on personnel or regardless of it's a lack of leadership. I don't know exactly what the reasoning is. For the Broncos to be as such. But the Broncos are one of the worst run organizations in football. And the Seahawks are one of the best run organizations in football. And the fact that we're staring at a situation in which the Broncos traded for Russell Wilson. And the Seahawks traded for... uh, The Seahawks got their first round picks and Noah Fant and some players. And the thing that I said is... Well, Denver getting Russell Wilson makes them about a seven seed... And if if Denver wants to go all in on trying to get the seven seed, then power to them. I mean, it, there's they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. That was my argument on Russell Wilson. I would still make the Russell Wilson trade today knowing the information that I have because he's one of the better quarterbacks in all of NFL history. You want to try and maximize value with a player who's never had a season even in the bottom half of the league. Nonetheless, a season where he's unstartable like he's had this year, and he's ranked 33rd in QBR. Like, Russell Wilson's never had a season like that. And he and it's not like the Seahawks have been perfect around him. He, they've won more regular season games than any team who didn't make a conference championship after 2000 and uh, after 2016, after the Super Bowl run. When Russ got the extension and they phased out the Legion of Boom, they were incredibly successful. They averaged over 10 wins a season for six seasons and made the playoffs made the divisional round twice, never made it to the conference championship. That's still an incredibly successful run of football, and we know because of the Legion of Boom years that Pete Carroll and John Schneider are running the Seahawks in a way that merits Hall of Fame consideration for what they've done in their 10-plus years working in Seattle. At least for Pete Carroll, there's certainly some Hall of Fame considerations there. And so Seattle, which is an incredibly well-run organization, was expected in my mind to get a top pick in the draft when you trade your draft picks to get and and start Geno Smith at quarterback I thought the Seahawks by keeping DK Metcalf and keeping Tyler Lockett and just trading Russell Wilson and cutting Bobby Wagner the way I looked at that was oh they're getting rid of these older players they're in a transitional period they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league because they were 7-10 and last year with Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. 
and yet the Seahawks are the team that's competing for the seventh seed, just like I thought the Broncos were, and the Broncos were the team with a top three pick, like I thought the Seahawks would be. It's incredible that you flipped Russell Wilson for Geno Smith, and now Geno Smith is putting up Russell Wilson numbers, and Russell Wilson is putting up what we anticipated Geno Smith would be, which is if not the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, one of the three worst starting quarterbacks in the NFL. And what I said is, even if Geno starts for the Seahawks, they're going to have four different quarterbacks start during the season. They were going to have what Denver is going through between Ripien and Wilson. They were going to have what Atlanta's doing between Mariota and Desmond Ritter. And I think Felipe Franks is somewhere still back there. But basically, my thought process is... that Seattle was going to have a top pick in the draft. They were going to plug in a quarterback and then go from there. And in reality, Seattle drafted an offensive lineman, drafted a star running back in Kenneth Walker, Kobe Bryant, and um, uh, what's it, Tariq Woolen in the secondary have been excellent pieces there, and younger players have gotten better. And so it's not going to make Seattle a champion. It is going to make Seattle halfway decent which is something that I was not prepared for, combined with the fact that now Seattle is going to be halfway decent and get a top draft pick from the Denver Broncos in which they can still do the plug-and-play quarterback option. And I know all of this is just kind of semantics, and we've known about this for a while, but as this relates to Nathaniel Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett is going to go down as one of these worst head coaches in the NFL, and his path back to being a coordinator will be a long journey for him. I mean, this is what happens to coaches who get a job and go one and done. I mean, Freddie Kitchens got to be a play caller only when Jason Garrett got COVID right before Jason Garrett got fired by the New York Giants, and Jason Garrett's not in a position to be an NFL coordinator and... Freddie Kitchens, who again was the head coach one year for Cleveland, he's not in a position to be a a play caller again. Ben McAdoo, who went basically two and out as a coach, it took Ben McAdoo six years to become a play caller again, and his first opportunity was with the shitty Carolina Panthers, who are somehow less shitty now. But the point's still standing, like Ben McAdoo took him six years to get back to being a play caller. So for Nathaniel Hackett, this was his chance, and it went incredibly poorly. And at the same time, Nathaniel Hackett wasn't going to get any other head coaching job other than with the shitty Broncos. It just turned out that he was incredibly unqualified for the job. And the reason I will say he was unqualified for the job is he couldn't handle basic clock management, and we all saw it. We all saw it happen right in front of our eyes. He couldn't handle basic clock management, and we all saw it. Peyton Manning saw it on TV. Troy Aikman saw it on TV. All of us saw it at Buffalo Wild Wings or wherever you were. Like Everyone saw this guy couldn't do basic clock management. He had to hire a consultant from the Baltimore Ravens to help him with clock management situations. You can't get an NFL head coaching job if you don't have basic clock management skills. And so in that respect, I feel confident saying Nathaniel Hackett was unqualified to be an NFL head coach. And as a a result of many other factors falling apart around the Broncos, you see they they had a bottoming out season, which I thought they would do at the end of firing Vic Fangio. I looked at that team and I looked at the state of the AFC West and I said, Denver would benefit from tearing this thing to the ground. And then the opportunity presented itself to acquire Russell Wilson. 
And I don't blame them for making that call to trade for Russell Wilson. They could have been a very respectable team with Russell Wilson as their quarterback. They could have been the seven seed in the wild card. They could still be the seven seed in the wild card next season because of how strong that defense is and because of how many injured players are going to come back next year. The way they would have to do that, though, it looks like, is game-managing Russell Wilson, and they're not going to pay $46 million to game-manage Russell Wilson. And I think their their great fault is giving him the extension. I think that's the thing that's ultimately going to come back to haunt them more than the decision to trade for Russell Wilson. The $110 million fully guaranteed is going to be something that's really, really hindering them because they're going to have to take that cap hit if they want to get rid of him, that money is guaranteed. Someone's going to have to take him on. And so maybe they'll pay down some of the guaranteed money. Maybe they'll keep him as an expensive backup. The options aren't great. And I genuinely don't know how to dig myself out of that situation. I think their best course of action is just to run it back with Russell Wilson next year. I don't think you 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 gave up so much to acquire him. You can't give up on that experiment, especially when... Russell Wilson is better. You don't have any other option. Now, the the logic has changed this a little bit where the, the Falcons just got rid of Matt Ryan and had no backup plan, but they also haven't forced the quarterback decision and they got decent production out of Mariota. And now that they're tanking, they're going to go to let Desmond Ritter have a chance. If you're going to suck, at least suck with the rookie. Like no one, I would not recommend just get rid of the quarterback and then do nothing. Now, that's worked out for a couple of people. I mean, Seattle really was committed to the Geno Smith thing. I I would view that move as get rid of Russell Wilson and then not have a plan in the in-between. But I, I don't think that that's... I don't think Denver's in a position where they can just do that because they don't have any path to acquire a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. And so their best bet is to hope that Russell Wilson corrects this behavior and becomes a semblance of the player that he was in Seattle. I think that's the best course of action for Denver. And like I say, every time that you have this case for Denver, you damned if you do and you damned if you don't. It's going to end up being bad. You're not going to be any good. You might sneak a bullshit playoff spot. But you're, nothing you do is going to get you to a competitive level. There's there's literally nothing you can do. And it's why I thought the best course of action when they got rid of Vic Fangio was to tear the thing to the studs. And by the way, George Payton kind of agreed because he traded Von Miller and traded Bradley Chubb for draft picks. Draft picks that he then immediately flipped to acquiring Russell Wilson and now is going to burn them in a way that they don't have a good enough pivot to be able to overcome. And so I look at what Nathan- I look at Nathaniel Hackett and this season for Denver and say so many things went wrong in so many different places and it's going to probably without good management it's probably going to take them years to dig themselves out of it and even when they dig themselves out of it they're not going to get back to a competitive place. I'm not saying it's going to be a 5-year rebuild like the Houston Texans did, but it's going to be years for the Broncos to dig themselves out of this. And I gen- I don't see a path forward for them 
that looks like I said, I would hang on to Russell Wilson, but it might be a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation for Denver. That this is the these are the consequences of all the bad decisions you've made, whether it's from management or whether it's from the decision to acquire Russell Wilson or the leadership being John Elway for all these years or all the the lack of investment in quarterbacks that you've made over the past seven years. Whatever the explanations may be, these are the ramifications of those decisions, and it's going to take them years to dig themselves out of that hole. And so I look at what Denver has now, and I say, wow, that is a the, the end of the Nathaniel Hackett era, which surprisingly went better than the Urban Meyer era in Jacksonville. He finished with more games coached and a better record. The end of the Nathaniel Hackett era, which is going to be one of the great catastrophes in the NFL and one that's going to take them a while to dig themselves out of. I think the best course of action for Denver at this point is to sink into your mistakes because you can't get your draft pick back. You can't get your you can't get your draft capital back and your investment in Russell Wilson is already $108 million at this point. It's going to take you years to dig yourself out of it. And similar to the Los Angeles Lakers, the best course of action might just be Bet on Russell Wilson getting better next season. Bet on better health so that you can maybe win six games. But there's nothing you can do that will get you to the playoffs. There's nothing you can do that's going to be a short-term fix. No amount of money and no amount of resources are going to correct the mistakes that they've already made. And so the easy thing to do to start off that transition is to fire Nathaniel Hackett. And that's what they've done. Eventually, they'll have to make a choice on Russell Wilson, but that won't come until after they pick the next head coach and after after they have to make little transactional details in the in-between. So to the Denver Broncos, I say, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't, and we're going to look up, and it's going to be 15 years since the last time you won a playoff game, and it might be 15 years since the last time you even made the playoffs. Because if the Jets can sneak that last playoff spot this year from the Miami Dolphins, which I don't think is going to happen, they only have like a 20% chance, but if the Jets make the playoffs, we can look up and the Denver Broncos will have the longest playoff drought in all of the NFL and no end in sight of breaking that drought for the next three seasons. Just start. Rushing the passer and tackling dudes are some strengths of mine. Build your gang strategy around me, cause my rating is 99. Feel this law for LB by just calling on me, and we both can shine. Cause I just need one more shot to be MVP. Yeah, we can win, so I'm saying start me. Let's do this. Stop all plays, just using my body. When I'm on your Madden team. Change your roster up and just start me. me. Opponents never gonna make first downs. Try and try, they won't gain no ground. Just start me. Just start me. Build your team and take them all the way. Madden NFL 17. EA Sports. It's in the game. All right. So first of all, I felt like uh, talking about Denver was an opportunity to bring up the Von Miller song 
that I love playing. The Madden 17 commercial that is Vaughn Miller singing Justin Bieber songs. Felt like talking about Denver was a good time to bring that up. It was either that one or ram it because Baker Mayfield rammed it against the, the Denver Broncos. But I chose Vaughn Miller as the transition song into our NFL cheat sheet. So there's a statistic that Pro Football Focus has called SRS, Strength of Regular Season. Um, I think is, or uh, sorry, not strength of regular season. Uh, they call it a strength simple rating system. Um, it uses point differential and strength of schedule to give a team a rating. That's basically how much a point spread would be if a team played a league average opponent and we got rid of home field advantage. So if you played a league average opponent, a team that statistically was middle of the road in every statistic during the season, if you played that theoretical team on a neutral field, what would your point spread be for the home team? Or sorry, for the team that in question. So simple rating system is a really good statistic for evaluating the skill level on paper of an NFL team doesn't have anything to do with the skill level of the team in terms of matchups, which are makes football incredibly random. Doesn't take into account weather doesn't take into account injuries. Although it does take into account injuries based on what their point total, or it does take injuries into account based on how it affects their win probabilities. But if a player comes back for injury, it's based on games that have been played during the season. So this statistic is basically, if you took every team in the league, what would their point spread be if they played a league average opponent on a neutral field with no weather in a dome stadium? And I took this statistic for all 32 teams back on November 27th, and then I took the statistics yesterday on December 27th. And so I wanted to see how the trends affected, because I've never looked at this statistic year to year and it re- and it's what I call an NFL cheat sheet because it helps evaluate how the skill levels of teams have changed over the past few months. Because we know in football, the first half of the season and the second half of the season are like two completely different seasons. Like we had no idea that Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes would be the MVP finalists last year until the last eight weeks of the season. Again, Patrick Mahomes was terrible the first seven weeks of the season for Kansas City last year and still finished second in MVP because they finished 9-1 and one, and Patrick Mahomes was statistically the best quarterback in the NFL, not named Aaron Rodgers. So I wanted to see month to month, five games played in the in-between, in between those five weeks, what, what, how have the strength of uh, the simple rating system and how have the point spreads changed between the teams? So here's the rankings right off the bat from November 27th, 2022. And I'm just going to list them really quickly. It's a podcast. You can turn it on slow motion. You can pause and go back. But I'm just going to read the rankings really, really quickly so that you get an idea of where things stood as before. Here's the top 10. Buffalo, Dallas, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Kansas City, Cincinnati, New England, the Jets, Miami, San Francisco. That was a month ago. Buffalo number one, and by the way, Buffalo was number one by a whole two points. Buffalo would be favored by two points against any team in the NFL 
on a neutral field. They are two full points better. Their 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 strength of record number was like ten point seven, or simple rating system. Their SRS number was ten point seven. They would be a ten point favorite against an average opponent on a neutral field. And then Dallas, Philadelphia were two and three. Baltimore was four at the time. Now this was before Lamar Jackson's injury, which you'll see when we go to next. Um, to, to the statistics as of right now, that number's clearly changed. Kansas City 5, Cincinnati 6, pay attention to that. New England 7, this was back before Thanksgiving. New England 7, New York Jets 8, Miami 9, and San Francisco was 10 at the time. Now, San Francisco has gone undefeated in the time since, and San Francisco has the biggest single jump of any team in the sport because San Francisco has jumped six places from number 10 to number four. Here's the full breakdown 30 days after the last ranking. Number one is still Buffalo. Number two is Philadelphia. Number three is Dallas. Remember in the one we did before, it was two Dallas, three Philadelphia. Now it's two Philadelphia, three Dallas. Four is San Francisco. Five is Cincinnati. Six is Kansas City. Remember two months ago it was Cincinnati six, Kansas Kansas City five. Now it's Cincinnati five, Kansas City six. Seven is Baltimore. Eight is New England. Nine, the Jets. Ten, Miami. So... New England, the Jets, and Miami are all still top 10 teams. They all just slid back one spot, and San Francisco jumped them. Meanwhile, Baltimore fell down below Cincinnati and Kansas City. And I suspect that as time goes on and Lamar Jackson plays fewer games for Baltimore, that number's going to keep sliding for Baltimore. Because this is based on, as we said, point differential and strength of record. So then... Some of the other trends from the rest of the top 10, which the top 10 remained relatively consistent, which tells you we know who the six best teams in the NFL are. It is Buffalo, Philadelphia, Dallas, San Francisco being right in that group. And I think most people would argue San Francisco might be the best team in the NFC as things currently stand right now. I would certainly argue that San Francisco is the best team in the NFC and might be the best team in the NFL. And then Cincinnati and Kansas City right there with Buffalo as the three best teams undisputedly in the AFC. Those are your six great teams in the NFL. And then you have the group of, you know, teams that want to make it to the second round. Making the second round of the playoffs would be an immensely successful season. I think Baltimore is going to feel disappointed because of Lamar Jackson's injury if they don't make it to the second round. It is a possibility though, but They'd also have to play Jacksonville in the first playoff game. Which, by the way, Jacksonville, shout out to them. They've jumped seven points in the last five weeks, which makes sense because Jacksonville has been on a winning streak for the last five games of come up Jaguars. So Jaguars have jumped seven points, tied for the largest jump of any team in the sport with the Los Angeles Chargers, who also clinched a playoff spot on Monday. So Jaguars and Chargers making late charges. It's going to be really interesting to watch them play against those four teams that we just mentioned. Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Baltimore. Because football's weird, man. Matchups could go their way. Jacksonville could beat Baltimore without Lamar Jackson. Chargers could beat Cincinnati. 
Chargers probably can't beat Kansas City, but they can beat Cincinnati. They can beat Jacksonville. Chargers could pull that off. They're peaking at the right time. So looking at that, we know who the six best teams in the sport are because they've been relatively consistent over the past 30 days. The only massive jump has been San Francisco, but San Francisco hasn't lost a game since we started doing this analysis. And in the time since the last ranking we created, they went nine consecutive quarters without allowing a point on defense, which if this game or with, if this cheat sheet is built on strength of record and point differential, well, then having zero points allowed in nine games is certainly going to uplift San Francisco's point differential and be the explanation of how they jump Cincinnati and Kansas City in the span and Baltimore in the span of just four weeks. So the next group of teams, like I said, Baltimore, New England, the Jets, Miami, those are teams who really want to win a second, make it to the second round of the playoffs. And if Baltimore had made it, to, had been in the NFC, they would have won the NFC South. They would have won the NFC North. They would have been the team in one of those divisions. But doesn't happen to be the case. Two of those teams aren't even going to make the playoffs. Between Baltimore, New England, the Jets, and Miami, two of those teams aren't going to make the playoffs. So those teams are all really good. And we know the Patriots, we talked about it on Monday, our NFL Monday podcast. The Patriots have lost on some bullshit this year. They have lost on some major bullshit. But the Patriots are one of the 10 best teams in the NFL, at least on paper, and at least based on performance of, you know, strength of record and point differential and statistics that help create this point spread. The Patriots would be favored on a neutral field by four points, which is... uh little bit surprising, right? I don't think we would have uh I don't think we would have necessarily guessed that from uh, the Patriots that they would be um that they would be such favorites. So those are the teams who hope to get second round. By the way, 11 is Jacksonville also. So the middle group is coming up all AFC. 8 of the top 11 teams are in the AFC in this statistic. Philadelphia, Dallas, San Francisco, those are the st- those are the teams that come up on the other end of this spectrum. So then you go to Detroit at 12, Minnesota at 13, Green Bay at 14. So you've got all of the NFC North teams. And this is the one from this month. By the way, um, Minnesota has dropped uh, two places. Green Bay has jumped six places. And Detroit has jumped four places in the time since. So Minnesota's going down. Uh, and Minnesota and Detroit are Minnesota's going down. Green Bay and Detroit are going up, which is not surprising. If you've watched football, Minnesota has come down to earth from the start of the season. They're 10 and 0 in one score games. They had a 33 point comeback. Like it's not surprising that Minnesota is a lesser team and Detroit and Green Bay have both made massive leaps in the second half of the season. It's not surprising to hear. It's just interesting that all three of them are right next to each other. And by the way, uh, Minnesota and Green Bay is the cutoff point of, of zero. So Minnesota would be favored by half a point if they were playing a neutral team, a, a league average team on a neutral field. They would be favored by half a point. Green Bay would be favored by, or Green Bay would be underdogs by 0.8 points. So 13 teams would be favored against a league average opponent. 19 teams would be underdogs. So then you go to the rest of the list. It's not super interesting. Cleveland, Washington, Giants, Chargers, Seattle, Pittsburgh. Tampa Bay's dropped seven places down to 21. 
There is no team from the NFC South in the top 20. And again, reminder, two of the top 10 teams aren't going to make the playoff because they're in the AFC. Baltimore, New England, Jets, and Miami, two of those teams aren't going to make the playoffs. That's your 7 through 10 in the AFC. And so you're looking at a space where two of the top 10 teams won't get to make the playoffs in terms of um, simple rating system. Meanwhile, one of the bottom 12 teams between Tampa, New Orleans, Tampa 21, New Orleans 22, Carolina 24, and then the Falcons 25, one of those teams is going to have to make the playoffs. And that's why I keep saying they have to send someone. Just as Detroit 12, Washington 16, Giants 17, Seattle 19, they're going to have to send one of those teams. Green Bay's at 14. Like 12, 14, 16, 17, and 19, two of those teams are going to make the playoffs. And if they match up against either 2, 3, or 4, they're probably going to get smacked. So they had to send someone. And then you have Vegas at 23, Carolina 24, Atlanta 25. The Titans, the Titans plummeted 14 spots, but the Titans also haven't won a game since we started doing this rating system, or since we calculated between the the 27th of November and the 27th of December, Titans fell from 12th to 26th, which they've been getting killed pretty bad. Now Ryan Tannehill's out for season, and they literally haven't won a game in the five weeks since we started calculating this. So Titans have had a quite the fall, and it makes me feel vindicated by by the fact that I said they should have contemplated trading Derrick Henry and tearing this thing to the studs. They fired their general manager. We talked about this all on Monday, and I've already taken uh, not a victory lap, but I've uh, replayed the Titans. I was uh, loud right about the Tennessee Titans sounder that we have because I'm always loud right about the Titans. The Titans are a remarkably predictable franchise. Uh, and then you have the Rams 27, Chicago 28. Chicago fell seven spots in the last few months, which, you know, we think Chicago's got a chance, but they're going to get a top draft pick to help uh, soften the blow. Then you've got Denver at 29, who we just talked about with Nathaniel Hackett. Then we've got Arizona, Indianapolis, and Houston rounding it out, which, by the way, Arizona, we'll talk about this more with Walter and Joe Camo at some point, but man, Arizona was 31 back in uh December or back in November and now they're 30 like Arizona is one of the worst teams in the NFL and they also have the second oldest roster in the NFL so I look at that and I'm like damn good luck with that (laughs) second oldest roster in the league but also the third worst roster in terms of this simple rating system man good luck to you Arizona you got a long ways to go to rebuild this thing And uh, Arizona and Denver kind of find themselves in remarkably similar positions. Arizona, the NFC's Broncos, seems to be like both those teams are in uh, fairly similar positions, considering that they probably won't see Kyler Murray until 2023. So there's your cheat sheet for the year. There are six teams that are well ahead of the competition, Buffalo, Philly, Dallas, San Francisco, Cincinnati, Kansas City, and then you have... The next group of teams just trying to get by, Baltimore, New England, the Jets, Miami, Jacksonville. In the NFC side, you've got Detroit, Green Bay, Washington, the Giants. Those are the teams. And if you want to build out tiers of teams in the AFC or NFC, you can do that. It might be better to mix conferences, but it actually comes up pretty simple. So here's your cheat sheet. 
for the NFL playoffs. These are the teams that it's Super Bowl aspirations, or at the very least, conference championship game aspirations. Buffalo, Philadelphia, Dallas, San Francisco, Cincinnati, and Kansas City. I will bet you that your Super Bowl champion will be one of those uh, six teams. Now, who's going to win it? Not sure. Football's random. Football's chaotic. I bet you, though, that one of those six teams is going to be your champion, and I bet you that at least three of those four teams are going to be playing in the conference championship. I would go as far as to say four of those teams will be playing in the conference championship. I will go as far to say it is more likely than not that four of those six teams will be your conference championship teams. Buffalo, Philly, Dallas, San Francisco, Cincinnati, Kansas City. I will bet you that all four of your conference championship teams will be of that group, and the team that doesn't make it to the conference championship among that group, whether or there's going to be two of them because there's only four spots in the conference championship game, whether it's Philly, Dallas, or San Francisco in the NFC, or whether it's Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City in the AFC, whichever team doesn't get it, I bet you their team is going to be feeling pretty disappointed at the end of the season. If Kansas City loses in the second round of the playoffs, they are certainly going to be disappointed. If Philly loses in the second round, they're going to be disappointed as all heck. If Brock Purdy loses in the second round of the playoffs, they're going to be really, really disappointed in San Francisco. And I recognize that a lot of this comes down to matchups, and we don't know what the matchups are going to be. But I bet you that those six teams are going to be the part of the final four at the end of the day. And then you're left with Baltimore, New England, the Jets, Miami, and Jacksonville being the five next best teams. And in the NFC you got to take two of those NFC North teams, or you can put Washington and the Giants in, and they'll just get smacked by either Philadelphia or Dallas or San Francisco in a wild card game. So that's your case. It is the argument I will make that they have to send someone for the final two NFC, really the final three NFC playoff spots, because outside of Philly, Dallas, and San Francisco, and the bullshit artists of the Minnesota Vikings... Those are the only teams that truly deserve playoff spots by the merits of who the 12 to 13 best teams are in the NFL. So there's your NFL cheat sheet. Hope that that will help you be a little bit more informed. And if you want to look at the simple rating system statistics, just go to Pro Football Reference and type in 2022 Broncos, 2022 Lions, 2022 Bengals. If you type in any team, their simple rating system numbers will come up on Pro Football Focus. You can figure out what their point spread would be against a league average opponent. I've given you the rankings in order, but if you want to know the specific numbers, I would recommend checking out Pro Football Reference as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We have episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. Leave a five-star review, download, and all of the wonderful support on this show. It is always greatly, greatly appreciated. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. And in the meantime, take it easy.